everyone. Welcome to another episode of RAS Consulting. Join the Dots podcast series. In this episode, I, Aditya Bell, will be joined by Sakshi Seni, who is one of our resident experts in the consulting group. Uh, Sakshi is going to walk us through the history of pharmaceuticals innovations and how they have impacted us as a global society. Before moving on to today's discussion, may I request every one of you to please subscribe to our channel on YouTube and other podcasting platforms, and also uh, send us your comments, your likes, dislikes, and that, will also, that helps us to produce good content. We will start today's episode with a quick history of medicine and medical practices that predated the era of empirical medicine. We will then outline the major pharmaceutical breakthroughs since 1900 and how each of them has impacted our society, our lives personally too. And finally, uh, and perhaps in the next episode, we're going to do, talk about how the future of pharmaceutical info innovations is likely to unfold as we see it. So let's get started. Welcome, Sachin. Thank you, Aditya. Abankoni's view of pharmaceutical innovations is a very exciting topic, and I am really glad to be here. Great. Uh, so, so Sachin, let's dive straight, in, straight into the topic. However, before we do that, perhaps you can give us some view of the state of the medicine before 1900. How would you characterize it? Yeah. So, if we go back in time, in earlier days, uh, not much was known about the cause of the disease. So, like, for example, we take the Middle Ages, 476 to 1450 AD. So, most doctors at that time believed uh, in the Greek theory from Galen, which was, uh, you become ill when the four humors, uh, which are phlegm, black bile, yellow bile, blood, they become unbalanced. Uh, yet, the treatment practices at that time were not designed to restore any of this balance. So, if you move fast forward to 17th century, uh, William Harvey in 1628 uh, discovered the blood circulation and Anton van Leeuwenhoek's observation uh, was on the bacteria in 1683. Uh, that would actually qualify as the first major breakthroughs of the more early moderate era. However, despite these breakthroughs, doctors still did not know at the time that germs caused the disease. So, we fast forwarding to like the middle of the 19th century, so they still believe that there is miasma, which is a poisonous vapor, which was considered as the main reason for diseases, which was like cholera, plague, and etc. So, then eventually, it was in 1864, Louis Pasteur actually proved that the germs caused disease, and that's how the germ theory came into existence by the late 19th Interesting. So it seems that the origins of the modern medicine as an industry, as a practice that we understand today, really started in the second half of the 19th century. Yes. In fact, 19th century saw many advances. For example, this was the age when the first use of anesthetics happened. Uh, then this was also the time when the first vaccines were introduced. And also this is an interesting thing. This was also the time when the first woman, Elizabeth Blackwell of the US, was actually awarded a medical degree. Wow, very nice. That's interesting to know. So let me jump ahead a bit. <clears throat> which pharmaceutical innovation in the last 120 years, or oh, I'm sorry, which innovations in the last 120 years stand out in your mind and why? Well, if you go back last 120 years, um, if I think of all the innovations, discovery of vaccines stand out the most. 
um to me it is because firstly it led to saving millions of lives for example if you take smallpox which has now been successfully eradicated from this world um i mean this would not be inspiration to say that more than 1 billion lives have been saved using this different vaccine over the last 20 years 1 billion lives that's a very large number and it's the just to put that into some kind of a quantitative um visual in them in one's mind itself is mind boggling yeah um and the interesting part of this is that we take vaccines for granted we forget that as a technology it has really come into existence in the last 120 130 years or so mm-hmm. let's carry the discussion further which other medical innovations stand out in your mind oh i have discovered the history of pharmaceutical innovations is so long that it cannot be covered in one episode but just for today i will list out the ones which i um, think in my view have fundamentally shaped the way we do treatment protocols start with 1997 when aspirin became the first synthetic pharmaceutical it was actually developed to alleviate the symptoms of rheumatism uh, and at the time of its discovery it was generally assumed that the aspirin eased pain by operating on the central nervous system but obviously now today we know that its applications go well beyond pain relief and it can also be used to combat inflammation which is linked to heart diseases and a variety of cancers it can even help in treating heart attacks and has also shown some utility in preventing strokes so if we put an estimate um for example uh, the use of aspirin alone it has saved over 1 million lives now uh if we moving on ahead if we come to uh, 1922 this was a time when the insulin was invented so if we go back in 1922 Diabetes used to be known as a sugar sickness disease. Mm. The only treatment was to starve the patients, and this starvation method led to wasting away of the patients, which ultimately led to their deaths. Right. Uh, today, diabetes is generally well managed with insulin, in addition to a very healthy lifestyle. In fact, you would be actually surprised to believe that the insulin discovery is often believed to have paved the way for future hormone re- replacement therapy. We now also know that diabetes increases the risk of stroke, heart failure, and death. So, if I put a rough estimate, uh, so the insulin use itself actually saved approximately 15 million lives um, cumulatively over the time. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, now, uh, if I can move back, if I can recall back, so this is uh, there would be the year 1942. uh this was the time when penicillin which was the world's first antibiotic was introduced to us so if uh, so penicillin being the very first antibiotic itself led to saving of 80 million to 200 lives and if you really think about that uh, it is like without its discovery and its implementation if you look at today's world population 75% of the people would not be alive because their ancestors would have been succumbed to infections uh so we know that the penicillin now has been used to treat plethora of conditions such as pneumonia scarlet fever as well as eye skin ear and throat infections right very wide so now if we move back uh, then there comes the year 1951 uh, so this was the year when chlorpromazine which was the world's first official antipsychotic drug which that was introduced so its discovery and use actually 
poor turning point in the history of psychiatry. Uh, not only this drug was a huge success, but over 10 years later, uh, it was seen that it was used around 50 million people across the world. So chlorpromazine, actually, we know that it has now paved the way for future generations of anxiety and depression drugs, and it's actually led to heralding the psychopharmacological revolution. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was then in the year 1956 uh, another breakthrough. Uh, this time, methotrexate became the first drug to cure ovarian cancer. So over the next decades, as we know, there were advances in chemotherapy were made, and numerous drugs with different mechanisms of actions uh, actually led to dramatic improvements in patient survival and actually led to decline in the cancer-related deaths. So there was. Um, then there was an interesting period, which was between 1960 to 1980. This 20-year period saw a major advance in the field of women's health. Uh, so during this time, uh, FDA approved the first oral birth control pill. So and what this pill did, it helped to manage some of the medical conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, acne, or severe men menstrual cramps in women. This pill also had a significant social influence. It improved women's reproductive health, significantly reduced child mortality, and most importantly, freed women to pursue their goals and aspirations without the burden of having a kid. It's interesting how the medical technology and feminism sort of go hand in hand in many ways. Yeah. A lot of these issues used to be constraints, but not anymore. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was, um, then moving ahead, the year 1985. Um, yes, this was a time, uh, this begins the era of cholesterol lowering drugs called statins. So, heart patients today actually owe a lot to two breakthrough drugs, which is lenoxin, uh, which was actually digoxin, and there was also lessix, which was pyrosomide, uh, which was also known as low aqua. Um, so, digoxin, as you know, it helps in creating a more rhythmic heartbeat by increasing intracellular sodium concentration, thereby increasing the muscular strength of the heart. Whereas pyrosimide helps in decongesting the heart by increasing the expression of sodium from the body via urine. Uh, so then uh, there is also another known drug, which is Lipitor. Uh, it is the most widely known among statins as of today, and it has actually contributed significantly to reducing the morbidity and mortality associated with excess cholesterol in the body. Right. <clears throat> Lipita, it was actually developed by the Pfizer uh, and uh, if we see the time chart of the uh, drug itself, uh, it actually went on to become the best-selling drug of all the time. That's true. It's, uh, I think it, its peak sale was somewhere around $14 billion and that peak sale was maintained for over a period of, uh, I think, almost a decade, if, if, uh, but maybe a little less. So, which actually comes to your point that its uh, total sales was somewhere around 125, $130 billion. Yes, yes, yeah. And then um, in the year 1987, um, this was the drug, uh, this was actually the time when the first antiretroviral drug for HIV uh, was, was launched. Uh, so, the drug was Zidubidi was also known as AZT and it is actually one of the biggest breakthroughs in the fight against AIDS. Uh, when this drug is used in combination with other uh, drugs, AZT was useful in helping the patients from succumbing to full-grown AIDS. 
So, um, if we do a rough estimate, um, the use of this drug actually led to prevention uh, and has saved over 15 million lives. Uh, on wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, and now the fast forwarding to 1998, uh, there came Viagra, the little blue pill, which was again launched by Pfizer. So within the first year, the erectile uh, dysfunction drug had racked up the sales of around 788 million uh, within the very first year. And uh, if you look at the, the drug uh, itself, um, it has generated over 1 billion in sales every single year till it reached its peak sales of 1.1 billion in 2012. Right. Yeah. So Viagra, as we know, it has revitalized the sex lives of millions of people. And True. it is not only a lifesaver, admittedly, but its users would actually argue that it certainly affected uh, their quality of life. Correct. And um, before uh, Viagra, I think erectile dysfunction was not considered as a proper medical condition. And uh, and as funny as it may sound, but we do have to give credit to Pfizer for actually um, uh, helping the world acknowledge that this is a serious condition. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, yeah. And then again in the year, uh, we come to 1998, uh, this was also the year when a new era in oncolytics uh, was started with the launch of Herceptin, which was being the very first targeted immunoclonal antibody. Right. Uh, it was used to treat breast cancer. Uh, then uh, Herceptin itself actually ushered in a wave of cancer treatments that were targeted towards the specific patient types. So during uh, the first decade of the century, several noteworthy targeted cancer treatments were used and brought to the market. Uh, for example, if we talk about EGFR protein targeting moieties such as elotinib, dipitinib, cetuximab, and penitumumab, actually changed the treatment paradigm associated with non-small cell lung cancer. And uh, if we talk about anti-angiogenesis drugs like penicillumab, which was actually initially approved for non-small cell lung cancer, was also found to be helpful in colorectal, breast, and brain cancers. Um, and uh, I can actually summarize with the other uh, targeted treatments like uh, bortezomib and sorafenib. Uh, these were also the drugs which changed the treatment paradigm for mantle cell lymphoma and kidney cancers. Mm -hmm. And then let's uh, move forward to the period of uh, coming to the uh, 21st century, 2010 to 2020 uh, decade. Um, this actually decade turned out to be even more groundbreaking for the life cycle. So there were many noteworthy therapies that were launched during this time. For example, when we talk about immunotherapeutics, uh, Provinch uh, was the first uh, to get launched in 2010, which was by Obdivo, Kitruta, and Tessentric. So essentially what these drugs were doing, they were actually eliciting the body's own immune response to fight cancer cells. And we now know that each of this immunotherapeutic drug has been approved now for multiple cancers. Uh, moving on, then there were gene therapies uh, where it was Timera, which was developed by Novartis, and then there was Yaskata, which was developed by Kite Pharma. And both of these drugs were actually brought to the market to treat different types of lymphomas. Right. Now, if you talk about outside of cancer, 
there is a company called the Spark Therapeutics, which developed and launched a drug called Nexterna, hmm. uh, which treated a very rare inherited uh, disease, which was uh, retinal dystrophy. Uh, so what this disease does, it is a kind of blindness, uh, which would cause a rare genetic disorder of the retina. But till now, whatever the drugs I have talked about, actually they are targeting some of the other proteins itself. Now, uh, there is a class of drugs which is RNA interference-based drugs. So what these drugs do, they target the mechanism of making proteins. Um, so if you talk about that, this class of drugs, the medicine which immediately comes to my mind is Confaxo, which is uh, targets a double-stranded small RNA uh, that interferes in the protein production process of dysfunctional transthyretin gene. Uh, what Unpetro does is, it, it actually is used, uh, it targets a specific RNA protein, uh, which is a transthyretin, uh, which, which actually leads to amylodoxin. Uh, then there were other drugs like Suada, uh, which was launched for HIV in 2012. Uh, then there was Octolivus, uh, again in the same uh, year, uh, launched for multiple silicosis. And uh, then there was uh, the Dato. Uh, which was used to treat Parkinson's disease. All these, I think, were launched in that period between 2013-2017. Uh, uh, so, what happens is these drugs led to an increase in the life expectancy of patients from, uh, if you think, two to three years in the 1990s to several decades by 2010. Um, then, lastly, there is also one drug uh, which was in 2000, uh, recently in 2019, uh, Redicava. Uh, which was launched for uh, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. Um, this is important because till today, this is the only approved drug which gave patients the chance to slow the progression of the disease and improve their ability to carry out the day-to-day -day tasks like eating, speaking, etc. This is quite interesting. <clears throat> I, I must say that this is also a a lot of credit goes to the amount of hard work and years of research that have gone into making each of these drugs, into understanding the disease pathology, designing medications to be able to uh, target the right molecular um, villains of the disease, and then to be able to show the kind of effect that uh, either in terms of life expectancy or quality of life or just functional independence and uh, regaining functional independence and autonomy. You touched upon a point regarding life expectancy. So maybe we can take a little, a few minutes to talk a little bit about um, the actual impact on human life. Maybe you can throw some light on that. Yeah. Well, uh, if you look at this, life expectancy has risen significantly over the last century. So, for example, if we take since 1900s, the global average life expectancy uh, has actually now doubled. Uh, round about to close to 73 years um, when by 2019 if we consider. Um, mostly uh, this is medical innovations such as vaccines, antibiotics, targeted medicines um, and then there are this improvements in the public health um, interventions like improvement in public sanitation. Uh, all this contributed to bring the change in this life expectancy. If we were to look at some of the matrices, um, for example, pasteurization. 
it alone saved around 250 uh, million lives and uh, then there was like uh, if you look at antibiotics again it uh, contributed to the saving of close to 200 million lives while uh, vaccines alone saved 1 billion lives in that if we were to compare the 1900s to 2010s uh, what we are seeing is there are fewer and fewer people are dying at a very young age uh, so, for example, if we look at the age at which the people uh, die, uh, has now changed significantly since the 1990s. Uh, so, now fewer people are dying at a very young age. Uh, for example, in 1990, uh, nearly one quarter of all deaths globally were in children which were younger than five. Uh, so, in 2019, this has actually declined to just under 9%. Uh, in contrast, uh, what we are seeing is the share of deaths in over 70s age bracket has increased from a third to half of uh, all the deaths over this period. Uh, I mean, uh, in fact, uh, at a very global level, uh, what we are seeing is collective death rates across all ages have been in steady decline. Uh, now, what this shows is that the global health has improved considerably over the course of the last generation. Uh, now to put our discussion into perspective, uh, with all the scientific advancements, innovations, medical and technological breakthroughs, life expectancy is expected to further increase from 70 years to 70, close to 78 years uh, by 2050. It's very interesting that you actually touched upon the fact that our um life expectancy is increasing so the natural question that comes is um what innovations do you foresee which will actually contribute to pro pro prolonging that life <laughs> yeah oh well uh, this is a great question uh, but to describe the next frontiers it actually requires another discussion now, let me get back to you on this analogy Okay, well, well, thank you, Sakshi. That is actually a fantastic, wonderful journey of the history of pharmacological innovations. Um, and I do think these, these kind of conversations are needed for uh, the general society to actually understand how pharmaceutical industry has contributed to uh, the quality of our society, um, as well by not just prolonging life, but also improving our uh, health in general. I'm sure that the full list is very long of the innovations um, and, and we could probably spend multiple episodes in discussing all that has been uh, invented and uh, brought to market in the last 100 years. Um, however, we we'll, we'll leave it at a high level at the moment. Uh, for viewers and listeners, please remember to subscribe to our channel once again and uh, give us comments, give us your feedback because that definitely helps us sharpen the content. Um, so, Sakshi, with that, I will uh, take your leave because we do anticipate uh, we'll be having a conversation soon about some of the pharmacological innovations that uh, we foresee coming up in the next few years. Thank you so much. Bye. And for the viewers, till next time. Have a nice day. Bye.